The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in June 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we say hi to Catherine Zuber. Hi, Kathy. Hello to both of you. Hi. I just run through a couple of your credits. You are the first ever costume designer we have ever had on this program. Yes, this, Howard mentioned that. It's very exciting to be the first. It's very exciting for us, too, because we've now gotten to, to sit face-to-face with a three-time Tony Award winner costume designer, most recently for The Coast of Utopia, for Best Costume Design of a Play, the year before in 2006 for Awake and Sing, again, Best Costume Design of a Play, and the year before that, 2005, Best Costume Design of a Musical for The Light in the Piazza. Some of your other shows that our listeners will be familiar with, Seascape, you were running against yourself in 2006 with yes, that show. Yes, I was. You were nominated for I Tony lost for and I won in the same year. <laughs> also for Doubt, for Little Women, for Dracula the Musical, for Dinner at Eight, for which you also got a Tony nomination, uh, Twelfth Night, uh, Regional Theater, you've worked with Mark Taper the- uh, Forum, the Goodman Theater, the Guthrie, the Old Globe, Seattle Rep. Hartford stage, just to mention a few. I could go on for the whole hour with your credits, <laughs> but, but I won't. <laughs> what I'd like to get started with, we'll talk about your most recent shows in a second. I'd like to just ask you as we start the program, where you start as a designer. Is there any typical way of when you get hired for a show, what comes first? Well, I think what comes first is um, sort of the excitement of the director in terms of what he sees for the project. And then that gets your ideas flowing. So by the time you have your first meeting, you usually come to it with some images or ideas or references. Um, And then you just start a dialogue. And uh, usually that lasts maybe over dinner or if it's at a meeting, maybe with books, an hour and a half. Then you go away and then you come back with sketches and you start to flesh out the ideas. You talk about the characters. You talk about the place. And it slowly uh, starts to take form. And I always feel that uh, with each piece, I like to think, am I required here to be an artist, a sociologist, a combination of the two? Because every project is very different. And I would think at some point early on in the process, you you must read the the work and get to know the characters. Oh, no, absolutely. The very first thing is to read Uh, the play. mm -hmm. And usually with a director, I like... for the director to tell me how they see each character because it's so subjective. And I really want to understand how he's reading a certain character because I may, as a reader, come away with it with a not an incorrect uh, viewpoint but a different viewpoint. And I want to honor what the director sees because he needs to be the captain of the project and the other the actors, the other designers are also following his lead. So it's very important for me to understand how he sees each character. So I usually give um, a director sort of a uh, an interview. I say, okay, who, how do you see this character? I go through the whole list of characters, and he could say, well, I see this person as being maybe uh, they think that they look young, but they're a little too old, and, you know, perhaps they had money at one point, but they have vestiges of that time. You know, any clues like that that will help me tremendously when it comes time to costume, to to preparing their costume, uh, the more information like that I have, uh, the more I feel I understand um, how the director sees And then if the principal actors have been cast, does that also enter into it? Yes, of course. I mean, sometimes um, I think uh, the... um, 
principal um, actors can bring so much to um, embellishing uh, the character. They have also done their homework and come to the uh, proceedings with a lot of information. And I think that needs to be honored. Um, very rarely uh, do I feel that uh, the choices are self-indulgent or coming out of vanity and you need to step in and say, well, you know, maybe that character wouldn't have long red curly hair or, <laughs> or you know, some notion that would go against the story that needs to be told. That happens very, very rarely. Usually actors have great instincts, and I like to work with them uh, in terms of developing the character. I think once I work with the director and do a sketch, it still needs to evolve once the actor is cast, which usually happens after we've done our work, um, the designers and the director. Um, once we've finished our work, that's when we know um, afterwards who's cast, and then it changes. At this point in your career, presumably you are offered more things than you can probably take on. And I'm curious, in your decision-making process of what projects you're going to work on, how much is it about you like the play? How much is it you like the director's vision of the play? And how much of it is it's a period that you're interested in working on clothes from that era? What are, what are the factors? Well, it's very interesting. Those three points that you bring up are all um, very um, alluring um, points when asked to do a project. Um, some directors I love working with, and I would do anything with them. Uh, it wouldn't matter what the play was because the experience is such a joy. Um, other cases, I, you know, I really enjoy the director and the combination of the director and the project is very tempting. It could be who the other designers are. It could be, um, you know, maybe it's a play I've never done before. Maybe it's a play I have done before and felt that it could have been better and I'd love to have another chance to do it again, to experience another production. It's so many different uh, things that go into it. Well, let's take that to some specificity now, which is there is a creative team that you're a part of, namely Bart Scher as director, yourself mm -hmm. as costume designer, Michael Jurgen as the set designer, and Chris Ackerland as the lighting designer. You were all involved in Light in the Piazza and Awake and Sing, and now you're at work on South Pacific. Or someone, not not the whole team on South Pacific? Um, on uh, South Pacific, I think Chris Ackerland isn't uh, uh -huh. doing South Pacific. Okay. But with, with the whole team, the opportunities to repeat with the same people in some combination. What what opportunities does that give you? Well, the wonderful opportunities about that experience is understanding uh, the language of the director and the other designers. You really uh, understand. You come to it knowing um, uh, you, you have a security that the collaboration will be fruitful, it'll be exciting, it'll uh, be supportive. Uh, Michael Jurgen is such a brilliant designer. I know that whatever design he executes will be absolutely perfect for the project and thrilling, and it's, it's always a joy to work with him. Uh, Bart is always innovative and pushing boundaries and has so many thrilling ideas, so I know it's always going to be an exciting project. And how much 
does your work, how do you play off of the other designers? How much does the set design influence what you're doing or the lighting design influence what you're doing or each other? Because you're not operating in a vacuum. You've got to, I assume, consider those well, other Well, what's elements. interesting is um, before coming uh, here today, I was just at a meeting uh, over at Lincoln Center for South Pacific. And it was a set meeting between Bart and Michael, but uh, my attendance was required, uh, or they asked if I would be there. That sounds very formal. <laughs> and I um, really uh, enjoy just seeing the process. It, inf- it gives me so much information of as to how um, they're visualizing a scene, what's important to them. It, I, I come away with it feeling um, much better equipped to do my job in terms of uh, beginning to do the costume design. I had a lot of research with me, um, which they didn't really look at yet. We're going to do that tomorrow. It's my day tomorrow. But um, now that we've gone through the play and when I present the research I have, um, I think that um, it'll make more sense now that we understand what the locations are, what the visuals are, the time of day, you know, what the weather is in, in terms of lighting or the sort of feeling of a scene, um, the emotional temperature, all of those components. It's so much more informative having gone through these last um, three days with Michael and with Bart. Hmm. Well, this may be a a chicken and egg sort of a question, Mm. but you talk about scenic designer. Which comes first? Does a scenic designer do his or her work first and then the costume designer gets involved? Usually. Uh Usually um, the scenic designer... Um, and that's uh, because of a, a number of things. One, uh, one of them being deadlines. Um, the scenic designer has to get their bids in um, quite early. You mean for the manufacturer? Uh, for the, uh, yes, the, the building to, of the scenery. the building of the scenery. I think most directors feel that they don't really understand uh, what to tell me as a costume designer until they understand the environment and the place, the the world of the set. Once they feel that they've done their work with the set designer, then they can talk with a little more authority of how the characters live within that world. And how about in terms of choosing the color palette, the mood, the, the we style? We usually do all of that together. Like uh-huh. the sessions we've had um, over the last few days, it's all just a black and white model. And for me, um, once I begin my sketches, it'll be silhouettes and sketches. There won't be color. Then usually we come together and uh, sort of decide on the color palette. Uh, And I work very closely with Michael on that and Light in the Piazza. We were um, really, I mean, Michael's wonderful that way. He, you know, would always bring me samples of what he was thinking of, and we'd put um, the color swatches of the costumes in front of it and he felt oh maybe that's a little too yellow I should add a little more just a tinge of blue to the mix of what became the walls of light in the piazza the same with awake and sing but then there's the lighting designer who may put gels in the lights well that's the wonderful thing when you work with um you know a great team is that everybody is communicating and Chris Ackerlin did the lights for light in the piazza and awake and sing is very sensitive to that and really sort of pulls it all together. 
Let's talk about Coast of Utopia, because you keep mentioning something that seems staggering to me. You keep saying, you sketch, you sketch. Well, Coast of Utopia had a few costumes in it. I mean, how many costumes altogether were in that There were 600 costumes, and uh, I did a sketch for every costume. You um, yourself? Actually, yes. Wow. I had to. I had to know what was going on. I had to. If I didn't have a sketch, then I really would be lost. I needed to see where we were going with the images. I mean, maybe if there were three soldiers, I'd do a sketch for one soldier. But for the most part, um, every idea had a sketch. And then the actual realization of the costumes, are you choosing all the fabrics? Yes. I choose all the fabrics. I supervise the construction. We have um, fittings in the costume shops. We have a muslin fitting, which means it's in white, inexpensive material just to get the shape and the fit. And then we go into the final, what they call the fashion fabric and add the trims and it's a more complete structure. But it's not the same as designing conventional clothes. Can you talk about what you have to take into account for theater clothing because it's not just put it's not always put on the way regular clothing is put on well yes it's got to last in a different way yes it has to last uh, quite a long time and also um the quick changes i mean the uh about coast of utopia what's so fascinating is that people had to change clothes quite quickly so we have these period garments that really have a lot of historical accuracy to them except they have a big old zipper down the back hopefully artfully hidden uh, in order to make the quick changes. And there's just certain um, times in a text where you really do need to make a change. And I don't like to be uh, indulgent and feel that I just want to show off and every time somebody comes out, they have a new dress on. But when somebody is moving through time, it's summer and it goes to winter, if they've gotten older, if they've gotten you know, a change in their circumstances, you know, that needs to be reflected in what they're wearing. And in a play like Coast of Utopia with so many scenes with an ensemble company, there were so many zippers um, (laughs) in those clothes. All of this begs the question, how did you get started doing this? What drew you to this? To to doing doing costume design? Um, Well, I was a uh, photographer first. I was living in New Haven, with a photographer, and uh, I got um, fascinated by the drama school and what they were doing over there and by the Yale Rep, and I started to go to every single show that was happening, and I uh, had the good fortune to costume an undergraduate show just by a fluke, and uh, once I did that, I said, oh, this is fantastic. I love doing this. So I went over to the drama school, and I said, you know, I want to be a costume designer. And they said, well, you know, you just can't come over here and say you want to be a costume designer. You, you sort of want to think, see things like portfolios yes, or pictures of shows Even though you have a great photography portfolio, you need to, you know, you can't just – it just seemed like I was asking that on a whim. So the following year, I did uh, many uh, undergraduate shows at Yale while working at the Yale Medical School. Um, and uh, – I did about 15 shows that year, and it was actually wonderful that I went in and said, hello, here I am, I want to be a costume designer, because uh, Jane Greenwood and Michael Juergen and Ming Cho Lee, who are still at Yale and were my teachers, um, said, oh my goodness, you had nothing a year ago, and now you have this, all these beautifully designed plays, and they're so interesting, and you really worked hard, and you really have a vision, and 
But they said, you really are serious. Welcome. How did you get, how, I mean, you just had an instinct that this was something you could do and started and started doing it? It wasn't that you'd been well, I, sewing your own clothes or, or well, anything it, like I that? mean, it was a, a mix of things. I, I think uh, being a photographer, you're always looking, uh, and the type of photography I did, you're always looking at a situation, you're looking at an environment and seeing how the people fit into that. Uh, the type of photography I was interested in was very much about that, where you'd go into a diner and it was something about the color and the lighting and then something about the people that were at the diner and the way they related to the space. So I think, you know, I was always looking in a very theatrical way through the photographs I was interested in taking. I always had an interest in um, art history. I always had an interest in the history of costume. Um, I always had an interest in literature, sociology, psychology, and those are all the things I think that go into being a costume designer. And I also really love the fact that working in theater is a collaboration, that uh, you all work together, uh, actors, stagehands, the other designers, the director, and you come together and you produce something wonderful and then it goes away, and I love when it goes away, actually, and becomes a memory. I love when it's a reality, but there's something about a project like Coast of Utopia, which is now closed, that in a way becomes such a wonderful, the what you take away from that experience and the fact that the art form of that experience is the memory and what you brought to the all the audiences that went to see it and how it's also a memory for them um, is very moving to me, uh, more so than I could ever um, sort of hope to um, experience from doing um, fine art uh, in the way that I was doing it at the time. Well, you did get your Master's of Fine Arts uh, from the Yale School of Drama. Mm-hmm. And then after graduation, you had been doing some work in school uh, on, on shows. What did you then start doing looking for work as a costume designer? How did you get those first professional uh, well, jobs? Well, it's difficult at first. Um, I uh, was lucky enough to work with Zoe Caldwell. She was directing at the time at the abandoned uh, Shakespeare Theater in Stratford, Connecticut. She uh-huh. did a Taming of, of the Shrew one year, and then she did a Hamlet. And she... Um, Jane Greenwood recommended me to do those projects, so that was wonderful to have that experience. And I tried to get whatever little shows I could in New York. Um, There were all these wonderful theater companies at that time, and in the 80s, I graduated in 84, New York was a place where you could sort of survive on um, uh, the income that you could get from cobbling together a life in the theater. I think it's very different today. Mm -hmm. And um, I just... Um, slowly built up a reputation and um, I think the biggest um, um, exciting um, kind of break I guess if you want to call it I had was um, there was a project at ART um, that was being directed by a Russian director and he had um, uh, a falling out with Robert Brustein and left in a huff and took all his designers back to the I think it was still a Soviet Union at the time (laughs) and um, all of a sudden, they needed uh, a project, and they Andre Serban was available, but all the um, experienced designers at the time were already booked up. They needed to find somebody in a week, and I didn't have a job, and I was available, and that went so well. So that started a long-running association with the American Repertory 
theater while Bruce Dean was there. And um, and then from there, a lot of uh, other artistic directors like Stan Wojewatski, Mark Lemos, you know, they saw that project. Uh, Michael Jurgen saw that project and said, you know, she really did a great job and he was a great champion of my work and still is. I adore Michael. He's such a wonderful man. And um, it it kind of just kind of grew out of that. But um, it's not easy. There are times where, um, you know, you feel maybe you're not getting the right match of directors and projects and uh, things are moving slowly. But I never gave up. I always soldiered forward and I just love what I do and I feel so fortunate to uh, participate in this way in the uh, American theater. In the early days of your career, when obviously you were finding shows wherever they were, how many shows a year did you do early on and now as your career has matured, are you able to do less or do you still are you still hopscotching around I do. The theaters? still I think I do the same amount so how many of shows projects. a year might you be designing maybe f- usually um, about 15 hmm. and so presumably overlap constantly yes yeah they do overlap um, last year when I did coast of utopia I didn't do um, any other projects um, because I knew how daunting it would be I had been scheduled to do the Barber Seville at the Met, but we had done a lot of the work in terms of producing the costumes well, opera's in the a summertime. Very lead time, yes, as well, we than, were on a very theater. different schedule, so that fit in very nicely into the Coast of Utopia tech schedule. Um, but other than that, um, last fall I just worked on the Coast of Utopia, and I really love working on one fantastically large project. It's so wonderful to do that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the experience of but how, that task. How do you, ju- I mean, is it easy to juggle between inevitably you're working with different directors in different spaces with different design teams on different periods and eras? You can just compartmentalize and... Yeah, you have to compartment. uh um, I have a hard time saying that word. Compartmentalize. <laughs> yes, thank you. And um, it's uh, also um, something uh, I've learned from watching uh, John Lee Beatty, who's another wonderful designer I've had the fortune of good fortune of working with. He always is very careful to make sure that the director he's working with thinks that he's the only director that he's working with. That he's very... And I said, oh, that is really fantastic. He never shows up and says, oh, I'm so tired. I was up all night working on a model for another project. It's He always is very clear that uh, <laughs> when he's in the room that all the energy is on the project at hand. So I've, from observing him, I said, oh, that's, I'm going to try and do the same thing. <laughs> well, you talked about Coast of Utopia with 600 costumes. Was that the most challenging show you ever worked on, or was there another one that was more challenging? Well, I did a, a project in Switzerland that had 6,000 costumes. So. <laughs> so this was a piece of cake. So, um, <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> that sounds interesting. It was uh, called the Fête de Vineron, and it was in uh, 1999. I started working on it in 1996, and it was this um, festival of wine growers, and it happens every 25 years in this region of Switzerland, which is on Lake Geneva. And um, 
it uh, it's all the participants are amateurs. Um, and they have to pay for their own costume, but it's a professionally executed costume, and it's period costumes based on the mythology of Bacchus and Ceres and the history of wine growing in this region in terms of what people wore um, through the centuries. And it was a fascinating project, but um, when I began to work on Coast of Utopia, it gave me a little bit of courage that I'd be okay with 600 Only costumes 600. <laughs> after having done 6,000. Well, other than those two, then. No, that any, was any the other, largest. <laughs> any others that were really a challenge, whether it be in, in size of scope or just, com, just coming up with the ideas, whatever? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think each there's so many projects that are really a challenge, and... Um, I love the moment when I'm in the my studio and it's my research books and my pencils and paper and I'm just sort of giving birth to the characters. It's so wonderful when it kind of comes together and and it seems right. Um, sometimes it's some projects are harder than others to kind of feel that you've nailed it, like where it really feels like this feels like the right solution for the project, but I never give up. If it's not right, I just crumple up the paper, throw it away. I just keep working till I feel that it's 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 singing to me. So is way. it a matter of you are finding the overall concept or the individual characters? It's or, both. Or both. It's both. both. Like, for instance, I'm working on this opera right now at uh, English National Opera with this film director, Sally Potter. She directed Orlando and some other really interesting films. And this is her first opera that she's directing. And um, she has a very interesting concept for Carmen because it's being sung in English. She felt like it should be set in England as much as possible. In the fourth act, they all go to Seville. And um, and she wants it to be set today, and she feels that instead of being at a tobacco factory, they're making crystal meth or some sort of drug. And So it has all these different layers, and but at the same time, Carmen is such a beautiful opera, and it's so romantic, so you don't want to lose that quality to it. So it was a challenge to bring those two elements together, and I really believed in her vision. I really am enjoying working with her, and uh, she came over uh, two weeks ago for another reason, and we had a session together, and she was so happy with uh, sort of the results of how it all came together. And I was as, as well because it still had a lot of humanity and interest and and uh, romance and all the things that Carmen should have. But it was also um, honored her vision and without being alienating or um, sort of um, – what's the word? Uh, sometimes I think um, – Productions drift too far in being innovative to the point where they stop communicating to the audience. And I feel um, when you're asked to do something that uh, is unusual um, or artistically um, striking, that you have to always be aware that uh, the audience needs to understand the story and emotionally connect um, to the message that's inherent in the piece. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked a moment ago about the upcoming uh, revival of South Pacific in Lincoln Center, and about mm-hmm. a decade ago you did a revival of The Sound of Music, two very well-known shows that have been produced so many times, both on Broadway and over the years all over the world, and in movies as well. People have images mm. of what the Von Trapp children look like, yes, of what uh, Nellie Forbush should yes. be dressed like. Is that a challenge to you when you have to do a revival of a very well-known work? Well, the wonderful thing about South Pacific is, you know, the movie is fantastic and the movie is set, uh, even though it's about World War II, the um, imagery, and Michael was saying the same thing and coming up with the props for the set, um, and the costumes are very much a 50s version of World War II. So the exciting thing this t- time around is to really go to the 40s, to have it be in the 40s, and um, to have the props and what the women are wearing, the men's uniforms, to really uh, embrace that era. So um, it's quite exciting uh, because it's giving us a feeling that um, it's honoring the um, text, honoring the uh, time and place of South Pacific, but it's never quite been done that way before. So do you then go back and look at, say, magazines of the of the era to get oh, an idea yes. of what people I, were so, wearing? Yes, I have um, so much research on um, what soldiers were wearing, people, you know, soldiers uh, on location in the, in the South Pacific Islands, um, of uh, what the restrictions were during the war years, how the, there's so many beautiful photographs of the women and how they tried to look as attractive as they could, given the fashions of the time and how they sort of adapted what was at hand to be fashionable. And it's it's so charming and so interesting. Um, it's, uh, so that's sort of, that, that is the challenge, um, I believe. As you talk about eras, I wonder, are there particular eras or styles of clothing that you like to work in? Do you specialize? No, I like um, all periods, I have to say. I really do. I love getting into a time period and just living in that time. And I I can't say I have... I mean, my favorite is always the one I'm working on at the moment. When I was doing Coast of Utopia, it was the 1830s and 40s and 50s. <laughs> now it's the you know, 1940s. Uh, and um, it's also... Um, what's interesting, it's not just the time period, it's the Location, where is it happening? Because you know that has so much to do with the um, details and the lines and choices, fabrics, so many things. Uh, well, let, let's talk very specifically then about time period, about the location, the setting, and all that. Light in the piazza. Mm-hmm. Get very specific. How you came to the show? How you designed those costumes? What was going on in that whole process? Um, light in the piazza was. Um, a unique experience because um, Adam Gettle and Bart and um, Bart Shearer and uh, Michael Jurgen and Chris Eck, we all felt like it needed to be realistic but heightened mm-hmm. in everything, in the setting, in the lights, and had to be based in reality, but then had a little extra. Romance, theatri- fantasy. Romance, fantasy, theatricality to it, uh-huh. but not. Not a theatricality that entered into um, um, sort of a style that would take you away from um, thinking of it 
as a play or the way you would tell a story without singing. So um, it was quite a, a fantastic challenge for us to come up with a world that um, sort of um, honored all those um, demands. And I think that uh, people um, uh, that I know that went to see it felt so um, delighted because they felt they entered into some dreamscape of their memory of what they imagined that time period to be. But actually, when you look at what the actual streets look like or what, you know, the people actually wore, it wasn't exactly, you know, what we did, but it was a romanticized version of that. Well, you, you took artistic license with it. Yes, basically. yes. <laughs> well, keeping on Light in the Piazza, that's a project that was developed at a couple of regional theaters mm-hmm. and ultimately had a sustained run here in New York. It's gone out on tour. How much does your work adapt when different actors come into a project? Because over the life of that show, different people have played the roles. How much, once it's set, is it what it is, or or does it get changed to, to fit the person? Um, I think it always, um, you need to, sometimes someone can go into a role and they just slip into the um, sort of the style that the previous actor had seamlessly. I think other performers come in and you really need to start over again and you feel that if they were to wear what the previous person had, just the character would lose um, their um, place in the structure of um, the uh, storytelling. So, um, yes, it does happen that you need to make adjustments when somebody new comes in. So that you don't always see the show. It's not always about just replicating over and over, no matter who goes into a show. You find yourself sometimes having to rethink to retain the intent rather than the literal costume. Yes. And there's some... I mean, on Light in the Piazza, there was um, one dress that um, I had made for Vicki Clark which I really loved, and it was um, at the um, engagement uh, party, and and it went on then to Let's Walk, and it did this whole sequence. And uh, Bart and Adam felt that she looked too sophisticated in that dress, and they wanted something really plain. And I mean, they were right. I could see what they were getting at. But sometimes you get a note like that, and you go like, why don't they like that dress? She looks so good in it, and she loves it. <laughs> well, because the dress conveys character and a part of the story above and beyond just whether no, it flatters exactly. the performer. Correct? No, exactly. And, you know, of course, as a costume designer, I'm thinking about that all the time. But in right. this particular case, sometimes I just had to trust them. I didn't quite understand the note, but I did the note anyway. I said, no, they, there's something about this they don't like, and I talked to them a little bit further, and... I did some sketches, and it was what they wanted was something really, really plain because they wanted it to be that she's turning over um, the idea of womanhood to her daughter, and if she looked to sense, you know, that she wasn't competing with her daughter. Yes, and they Mm -hmm. really wanted the daughter to shine in that scene, and so it was very interesting. Of course, now I understand, and the change made a lot of sense, but that happens, I think, to costume designers that sometimes the director, there's something about a look that you know they may not be able to articulate why, but they know there's something not quite right about it, and um, 
that's sort of fun in a way to have those discussions and you know to have that dialogue and to work with the actor to try to get at what is it that's not um, working in this costume for that scene. Now, in the case of Light in the Piazza, it's now out on a national tour. Mm-hmm. Did you have to redesign costumes for the tour version, or are they basically the same as the Broadway version was? Um, they're the same with some adjustments because um, just of different body types. and. But but having nothing to do with being in different theaters and packing up each week and moving on. No, we didn't really change things mm-hmm. too much that way. It was like they said, give us fewer costumes, less to, to no, transport. No, no, no. Yeah. So, but is, is that the case with most shows that go out on tour? They stay pretty much the same, or do they, or do they change? I think they do stay pretty much the same. I think the sets have much more of an um, adaptation for packing up and going on the road than costumes do. Mm-hmm. Costumes don't take up as much space. <laughs> right, right. That's one, one handy thing, yeah. I guess. But also the changes you talked about making for different performers taking on a role, are they subtle changes, like maybe a shade of color, or are they They're more... They're subtle. It's never uh, a huge shift. It's subtle. Uh-huh. It's maybe, you know, you may have, let's say, a young man playing in it, like the Fabrizio character in Light in the Piazza, and maybe a certain combination of clothes kind of make him seem like a young, lost man in the beginning, a poet, a dreamer. And you put those same clothes on another actor and he could look like, you know, a hustler. It just sends the Mm -hmm. wrong message. So you go, okay, what is, you know, you look and you go, okay, he's got a different energy and he holds his body in a different way. You know, that particular costume is sort of sending the wrong message, you know, so you make subtle adjustments so that... uh, So it sounds like as long as the show is running, the costume designer's work is never done. Well, that's why it's important to have great wardrobe people Uh because um, sometimes if you get too busy on another show, they'll, you know, let you know, oh, we have a replacement. And they said, you know, we felt that this particular costume wasn't working and they'll make a substitution. And um, that's if it's on the road. If it's here in New York, I come in and and uh, see what's going on. But sometimes it's not possible if they're in, you know, Chicago and it's not possible to get there and right. there's been a replacement. But that usually doesn't happen with leading characters. That's more the ensemble where things like that happen. The leading characters usually stick with it. unless, And if they are replaced, you usually get lots of notice and know that it's happening. This may be a dumb question, but... Is your process and the input and things you respond to different when you're working in a not-for-profit setting than when you're designing it for a commercial production? Now, what do you mean exactly? In other words, do the producer's voices come in, or is your relationship still primarily with the director and the other designers? Are there um, expectations that Well, the interesting thing is um, in New York, I work... um, uh, a lot with Lincoln Center, right. which is technically a regional theater. Right, uh, but when we look at, you know, Manhattan. Red Shoes, your Broadway uh, debut. Right, and right now I'm working or, on a production of Cry Baby. Yes, I think when it's commercial, it's very, you know, they're very uh, conscientious of um, of um, being practical, of being, they want the designs to be exciting. You know, there's never... Um, any lack of enthusiasm from the part of commercial producers in terms of compromising the look of the show. But um, there is, I think, and, and as true with Lincoln Center, I think everybody has to keep an eye on the bottom line. I don't think that changes. 
So it's not when you do a commercial show that you necessarily have a larger budget or more opportunity? Oh, I think to- you do have a larger budget and more opportunity than you absolutely than you do in a regional theater. But that being said, Lincoln Center, I think, is um, a fantastic place to work, and I never felt um, compromised that way in terms of the support that they give in order to do um, a good job. And how about for a show that is intended to be a limited run versus a show that's just open, open Well, the run. great thing about a limited run is that you can um, rent costumes um, from um, – um, I go to this uh, rental house in London, Angel Angel Costumes, and they have uh, – for menswear, for example, they have like racks of frock coats and vests and pants. And it's – you know, you have to put organize them and put them together yourself and make sure they have the right size and all of that. But it can really help a budget – if you can, uh, ask, you know, have um, um, access to those to, to those um, materials, it really—I mean, on a coast of Utopia, if we didn't have that, the budget would have been three times as much as it was. We've been very general in this conversation, but I have to ask you about a project that where I thought the design, the physical production was was incredibly striking. But it's a show people don't always think of, which is in my life. What was the process of putting together that absurdist <laughs> yet impeccably produced show? Well, I, I guess it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that no matter what the project, I really want to feel like I'm serve, serving the project. And even if it's something that, um, as in my life was, like a unusual project and... Um, you just try to do the best you can do. And it seemed like a show with no rules that yes. you could go any which direction. <laughs> yes, because it was it was so undefined. But yes, it was. It was a unique experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we're going to get at. Well, we talked about working with the, with the director, working with the scenic designer, and you talked about working for the the principal uh, characters in terms of the body type and the look. What if they themselves, the individual people? don't like the costume, that they feel uncomfortable. What happens then? Well, you go back to the costume shop and you, you know, if when you there's wonderful shops here in New York and you call up and you say, you know, the actress isn't happy with, you know, the way this feels or, and there, you have another fitting and you talk about it and they work on the costume and you try to do it in the morning and there's this big rush to get it done by the evening and make sure that... It's comfortable for that night, but that's that happens often where you do have to make adjustments. But do you the- also have to sometimes convince an actor? Is it is it partially your role that that they might not be used to the look, but the look is right for the show? Yes. Oh, yes, that happens often on Coast of Utopia. At first, uh, some of the ladies, especially with the hairdos, and were a little kind of uh, perplexed, but then they really got into it. I mean, that's the thing that's so exciting. They kind of say, oh, yeah, no, this looks great, and it feels right. And then the other thing that's interesting is that when you're having a fitting with an actor, they're the only one, and they just see themselves in the mirror, and, you know, it's hard for them sometimes to understand, like, well, why am I wearing this again, and is this, 
you know, skirt too big or too small, and then they see all the other actors costumed, and then it's like, oh, now I understand. I now I see how I fit into this picture. And well, there is that step that an actor may certainly may have seen a sketch from the day of the first rehearsal, and they mm-hmm. may have been fitted in muslin either shortly mm-hmm. before or very early in the rehearsal process. But when they step into your costume, yeah, it, it is it is another. It is an escalation of their immersion into a character. Right. And I think a lot of, you know, you can have all the, you know, visual research and sketches uh, in the world, but it's a very, very different story when it's a three-dimensional item and it's on their body and it's, they have the hair and they're feeling it and wearing it. It's a very, very different story and it's very exciting when it all comes together. There's nothing more thrilling than being in tech and it's the first day everyone's wearing costumes on the sets and you just kind of see it all. I I remember a couple different actresses have made kind of the same statement that when they put on that costume for the first time they really understood the character that they were playing when they got into that dress or whatever it was. I really got it at that point, really understood her. Yes, it's so satisfying to hear that when they say that, when they say, you know, I felt like I knew the character but it was just the one little final touch that brought me home to understanding you know who this person is that I'm becoming many many of our listeners to this this channel are are young they're in high school they're in college they're thinking about careers in the theater many of them are thinking about being on stage as performers you were thinking originally of being a photographer then you got interested in costume designing what kind of advice would you give to young people who may not even be considering being a costume designer but in terms of getting started maybe things to consider in terms of education or getting that first job well i think um the most important thing I, I would advise is to get a really solid liberal arts education to really understand history and art history and literature. And um, and then if they f- have a passion for doing theater, then to go to a really good graduate school or to apprentice for a designer or at a theater that uh, where they could be well-placed, where they feel involved and engaged. Um, and to keep looking and to keep thinking about um, ways of uh, interpreting ideas visually um, to when they go on holiday to bring a sketchbook and you know sketch what they see and what they feel to learn to communicate um, what they're feeling emotionally uh, onto paper um, in terms of uh, drawing and taking photographs, uh, keeping a file from images. It could be, you know, fashion magazines. It could be National Geographic. It could be so many things. Maybe keeping files of images that excite them and holding on to that as sort of a reference, a visual reference uh, source. Um, Seeing in their colleges... um, what uh, dramatic societies are there, uh, what the theater programs are like. and If they don't like what they see, maybe starting their own and having their own vision. Um, so many of the young um, assistants that I've come across um, lately have really started um, small theater companies where they're doing very interesting projects, and it's so encouraging um, that people are following uh, their vision in that way and, uh, de- you know, developing their uh, skills um, from uh, practical experience. 
Well, Kathy, as our first ever costume designer on Downstage Center, this has been very enlightening. I think you've brought up a lot of things that the average theater goer wouldn't even think about as they're sitting in the, in the theater. So thank you so much for being with oh, us today. Oh, it's been wonderful being here. It's thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing, more than 400 hours of it, is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcasts of Downstage Center, Help us in our efforts to share the best in theater with listeners everywhere by writing a review for iTunes or for your favorite podcast directory. Thanks so much.